One of the most difficult Sundays to preach is the first Sunday of the year. And that's not because it's the first Sunday of the year. It's uh, because you have to write the message the last week of the last year. And um, the last week of the last year for a lot of us has kind of become um, like, a, like a dead week. Like there's not a lot that happens between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And I, and I remember when that was not the case. Like, I, you know, like it, was, it was just a normal work week. And I know it may have been a normal work week for many of you. But, you know, it used to be that, you know, you didn't, you might have got off on Christmas Eve. Or you might have got a half day on Christmas Eve. But most people worked on Christmas Eve. And then you were off on Christmas Day, and then the day after Christmas, you know, you're right back to work. It's just a, it's just a normal week, and, you're, you know, you don't get off for New Year's Eve. You get off for New Year's Day, and, and you know, it's just kind of, it was just a normal week. But now, and I don't know if the pandemic fueled some of this or what, but now it's like the week, that, that week between Christmas Day and New Year's Day, there's like nothing going on. I can't tell you how many emails I got this week from people that said, I'm sorry, I'm out of the office until January 3rd, and I will have limited access to email, which is just another way of saying, I ain't doing nothing. You know, like, I, I'm not going to be checking email. I'm not going to be working. I'm not going to be getting out of my pajamas. I don't even know what day of the week it is. I don't know what time it is. I mean, that's trying to write a sermon in that environment, and all the kids are home from college, and, you know, it's like, it's, it's just everything's out of, out of whack. And um, so I struggled to get the mental energy up for the sermon this week. And uh, because of that, I'm going to skip over, I'm going to cover them briefly, but I'm really going to skip over the first seven verses of Romans chapter 13. And we are trying to finish up Romans. I'm, I'm going to take the month of January and get Romans finished. I think I kick off a new series the last Sunday of this month, but we're going to finish up Romans. So I was supposed to cover all of Romans chapter 13 today, but... Um, <laughs> I just didn't have the mental energy to tackle this, because this is how he begins uh, Romans 13. Throw that up for me if you don't Yeah. Uh, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. All right. Uh, you know, like, like, let's talk about that. That's our New Year's Day message right there. Be subject to the governing authorities. And that's one of the most misused and abused passages of Scripture uh, in the New Testament. And, um, you know, like when, when Trump was in office, you know, the evangelical leaders that were super behind Trump would say, well, you know, he may not be the most morally upright person in the world, but God put him there. You know, God, God instituted him. God put him in office. And so you got to you got to do what he says, or you got to line up your support behind him. Of course, they, they didn't do that with Obama, but uh, that was what they believed about Trump. And I'm sure there's Biden followers that would say now, you know, God put him there. It's right there in Romans chapter 13. God put him there, and so you need to, you know, you got you to support whatever the policies are. you got to support. And um, I, really, you know, there's, there's so many problems with this when you start thinking back through history. Because I even thought about, like, for the life of me, I can't figure out how our founding fathers of this Christian nation... Uh, adhered to this passage during the Revolutionary War because they obviously didn't think it applied to King George. And, um, you know, we didn't think it applied to Germany in the 40s or China in the 50s or Cambodia in the 60s or uh, Iraq in the 90s or North Korea today. I mean, there's there's all kinds of, of issues and problems. So, like, what do you do with a passage like this? And I think the first thing you do, the first thing is you resist the temptation 
to apply it only to our time and our circumstances um, because that's, that's not how we, we study and understand Scripture. So we, we resist that temptation, and we first try to understand what is Paul saying to his original audience in their time and in their circumstances, and that's the task of biblical exegesis. And the text can never mean to us what it never meant to them, which already makes things interesting because we live in an elected democracy, and Paul's talking about the authoritative state of Rome. You know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't elect Rome to be their leaders. Uh, so it already makes that, that super interesting. But I think, you know, as some commentators uh, think, that he's not really referring to individual governments or rulers or specific governments or rulers, but just to the idea of civic government. You know, Paul's making this argument that, you know, civic government is needed for, a, for society to survive, and so as Christians you have a responsibility there, and that is, you know, respect the governing authorities and uh, pay your taxes and obey the laws to the extent that they don't, you know, contradict God's laws because there are certain exceptions that you see throughout the New Testament where they said we must obey God rather than man and um, I mean he's just basically saying you know Christians are called to be good citizens that you know we're called to be good citizens and it is kind of weird that it's in this section because in chapter 12 and chapter 13 the the end of chapter 12 and the end of chapter 13 this kind of seems to come out of nowhere it could be, and this is always the case with occasional documents, it could be that there's a specific situation going on. There's a specific kind of rebellion or something or kind of thinking in the Roman church about, well, we're going to do this and this. And Paul's kind of addressing a specific situation there. But the, the answer is we could spend all day here, all right? We could spend all day talking about this, and I'm not going to do it because it's New Year's Day. So the other thing that happens, though, that week between Christmas and, and New Year's is I also spend a lot of time reflecting during that time. So, and it may be because, you know, there's not a lot going on, but I spend a lot of time kind of looking back at what happened over the last year and, and looking forward to, you know, what's going to happen next year. And you're kind of, in reflecting, you're thinking about, you know, what were the good things that happened, what were the bad things that happened, what were things that could have gone differently. And if you're on social media, you see this, like people are going back, you know, thanks to 2022, and they're showing their pictures of things that happened during their life during that time. And you're also kind of thinking about what you want to see different in the new year. And um, I used to be a huge New Year's resolutions guy. And I always had like a whole list of New Year's resolutions, and I wrote them down, and I, I kept them for a good two, three weeks. And um, I stopped, I'm not as much of a New Year's resolutions guy anymore because I've, I've kind of finally figured out that resolutions aren't something that should only happen, you know, one month out of the year. Uh, it, they're things that should happen throughout the year, and goals should, things that should happen throughout the year. So I, I, I try to do you know, goals and resolutions and, you know, changes. And I try to work on that throughout the year. But it does get more intense at this time of year. And the staff can tell you. Like, they know that, you know, coming in January in the office, I'm going to be like, okay, what's our goals this year? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? All that kind of stuff. So it does get more intense at this time of the year. And in that sense, the end of Romans chapter 13 is perfect for the new year. Like, you couldn't have written a better New Year's Day message in the end of Romans chapter 13, because I think this is where we go uh, in 2023. Not just as individuals, but as a, as a church, as a community. This is where we go in 2023. This is what it is all about. He starts in verse 8 and says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments... 
You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So he starts with this, you know, teaching on love. And, and I love this passage, especially chat verses 8 through 14. I love it because it's so simple. And Christianity is simple to understand. It is simple to understand. Beware of those who try to make it complicated. Beware of those who say, you need my book to understand how to under, understand this book. Or you need my teaching to understand this teaching here. You know, like, beware of people who try to make it burdensome. Because Christianity is not burdensome, and it's not complicated. It is simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. We're talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus defines your neighbor as everybody. So that doesn't mean it's easy. There's a difference between being simple and easy. But Christianity is, is simple. And, you know, when Jesus was asked the question, you know, what's the most important command? You know, he was, it, was a, it was a trap question because how are you going to take this book and all the teachings in it and the 600-plus commands that are in here and narrow it down to the most important one? And so they asked Jesus, well, what's the most important command? Because they knew he couldn't do it. And he said, oh, I'll tell you what the most important command is. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the first one. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the most important command. And then Paul takes that same teaching, where that second one is like the first one, Paul takes that same teaching and says, not only is that the greatest command, that is actually the fulfillment of the law. You catch what he said there, because what he said is huge there. He said, like every other teaching, all the commandments, and he lists some of the Ten Commandments, all the commandments are fulfilled in one command. They're summarized in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means that everything in the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the law of Moses, or we know it as the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is summarized in one single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And everything in the New Testament, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say the Gospels and the, and the New Testament letters and Revelation, everything in the New Testament is fulfilled in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? Well, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said, there's no one who's not your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. Even those that uh, you may consider your enemies are your neighbors. So everyone's your neighbor. And what does it look like to love a neighbor? Well, Paul defines that here in, in verse 14. Um, love does no harm. That's why it's the fulfillment of the law, because it does no harm. That's what love looks like. Now think about, I mean, that's... Uh, Here's why I think this message is so desperately needed. Because when I look back, and I, this week I read a book. Uh, I can't remember the doctor's name. It was the, the doctor that was over the COVID response team in uh, Metro Nashville. Dr. Jankar, I said, I'm going I'm to mess his name up. But um, I, I read his book, and it kind of got me thinking about where we've been the last two or three years. You know, it kind of resurfaced all that because you forget where we've been in the last three years. And I think in the last three years, 
the church has kind of gone through a, a reckoning, if you will. And I'm not talking about just Murray Hills. I'm talking about uh, the church universal, the church, or the American church at least. The, the American church has kind of gone through a reckoning because there's been three major disruptions that took place over the last uh, two years. And the first was, was COVID, you know, which disruption was probably an understatement for COVID. I mean, it was just a, you, I forgot, reading that book again, I'm like, I forgot how, I mean, this was just such a major, major disruption to our lives and a major, major disruption to our institutions, but no institution was affected probably more than the church because it revealed trends that were already there. So I don't, I don't think COVID caused people to go, you know what, I'm not interested in church anymore. I don't think COVID caused that. I think the, the underlying sentiment was there, the feeling was there, like participation in church is not near as important as it maybe they thought it used to be, or engagement in church is not nearly as important. And COVID just kind of accelerated all that. And so a lot of people decided during that time, I don't, I don't really need a community of faith. You know, I'm, I'm good. You know, they didn't necessarily lose their faith kind of thing, but they decided they didn't need a community with which to practice that faith. So that was one of the disruptions. The second major disruption uh, happened at the same time, and it was the election of 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, um, the cultural disruption that took place during that time. Put a lot of pressure on church and revealed, um, you know, some churches were more than willing to engage in party politics and uh, not really willing to engage in issues of, of social justice. And depending on where you came out on either of those issues, uh, it, you, were, you were pressured. So if you didn't engage in party politics and you chose to not preach on those things or teach on those things, well, there would be people who left the church. Like, I can't believe you're not addressing the, max, the vaccines and you're not addressing the mask and you're not addressing Supreme Court rulings and justices and those kinds of things. And... Uh, if you chose to have conversations about love and justice, well, there was people that got upset and, and left over those things as well. And so that, and again, this is not just at this church. I think this is the church universal had to deal with those. And then the third major disruption, and again, all happened within the same time, was uh, the exposure of the misdeeds of the church, which has always been an issue uh, because you know, churches are made of people and people are sinful. And so that's always been an issue throughout history. But it, it, there seems to be a lot of it going on right now. There's a lot of documentaries, podcasts, that kind of stuff being, being released about, you know, pastors or churches with unrestrained egos or, or unrestrained lust or um, fraudulent activity or, you know, non-disclosure agreements, bullying people who, who disagree with them or bullying people who try to hold them accountable. And, and it's, just, it's just like one after another, from Hillsong to Willow Creek to... Um, Mars Hill, Ravi Zacharias ministry, you know, like there's, there was a lot of trust lost in the last couple of years uh, in the church because people started to think, well, I don't know that we can trust these leaders and uh, I don't know that we can trust, you know, these institutions. And so that was a major disruption and the church lost members uh, because of that as well. And so when I reflect on those things and I say, well, what's the answer to that? All these disruptions that took place in the last two years What's the answer to that? Like, how does the church address that? Um, not cooler worship? Is that what we need? Or, you know, hipper pastors? Is that, or younger pastors? That's what you know, a lot of churches, when things start declining, they're like, we need a younger pastor. You know, that kind of thing. Or is it, you know, like, more compelling social media posts? Maybe we just need, you know, we need a better strategy with our social media to show all the great, or more, you know, great children's ministry environments, or great student ministry environments. And 
like those things work to, to attract people that are already active in one church to be active in another church. That, it works. Um, just to be real frank, we've been the beneficiary of that, and we've also been hurt by it. So like, we've, been the, we've been the cool church before, and like, oh, everybody wants to go here because it's cooler than the other churches. And then we've been the uncool church. There was some new churches that started up that were a little bit cooler than us. You know, like, so it, it works for a while, but it doesn't really change people's lives, and it doesn't really change who's coming into the kingdom. And so you say, well, what do you, you know, how do you address these disruptions? Loss of trust in church leadership, loss of, loss of trust in, you know, churches in general, and, and disengagement, and lack of participation in churches. And I think you address it by getting back to your core values. And your core values are explained by Paul right here. Getting back, you, we have one rule and one responsibility as a church. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's our responsibility as a church. That's what we're called to do as a church. No matter what our worship looks like, no matter what preaching style I choose to use, no matter what our children's ministry environments look like, no matter if we meet in a building or don't meet in a building, you know, no matter if we got, we're on TikTok or not on TikTok or whatever it is, we have one responsibility, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's what we're called to do. God, Jesus calls us and Paul calls us and you know, the Bible calls us to love people to treat them in the way that we want to be treated, to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way forward. And it's simple, not easy, but simple. It is, it is a simple focus. That is, that is our focus. How do we love people in the way that Jesus loved people? How do we love people in the way that God is calling us to love people? Um, I don't know how many of you have been following along with this story. I've got to wrap up here. But Can you throw that picture up for me, Ty? Don't mind. Uh, you've been following the Southwest story, Southwest Airlines. Uh, I promise I've read more articles about it than you because I'm flying out on Southwest today, like this afternoon. I'm leaving second service early when I get done preaching. I'm, and, and the only reason that's happening is because we were supposed to fly out Monday morning. And, of course, all week long we've been worried, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we gonna do? Then they finally got it figured out, and we said, okay, they got it figured out. So we're fine flying out Monday morning as long as there's not another winter storm because we know how they handled the last winter storm as long as there's not another winter storm. And then I got a notification on my phone and the, the city we're flying into, there's a winter storm coming Monday morning. You know? And so we're like, let's, so we shifted and we, we moved our tickets to today. We're still flying out today. Uh, and every, uh, on Southwest, we're still flying out Southwest. But every article I've read about Southwest, this is what's been in my mind. Man, life comes at you fast, doesn't it? Life comes at you fast. Who would have ever... I mean, Southwest is, was the most beloved airline. That was the number one airline. They recovered from the pandemic faster than any other airlines. They were profitable quicker more than any other airline because people love Southwest. People want to fly Southwest. It's fun. You know, it's, it's affordable. Uh, they, you know, they just... They treat their people right. Right? I mean, that's that, the reason that everybody wanted to, to fly Southwest. I mean, 10 years ago, it's the most popular airline. Five years ago, one year ago, one month ago, two weeks ago, it's the most popular airline. Everybody wanted to work for Southwest two weeks ago. Life comes at you fast. In one week, it completely melted down. A major disruption took place in one week, and everything imploded. 
And you can read articles about why it imploded. And it's interesting. Like they didn't, they failed to invest in technology. They trusted their antiquated models and all the other airlines that kind of updated their models and they were still doing antiquated models, antiquated practices, didn't invest in the future. And I was like, oh, there's a lesson for the church. You know, like be careful because it can be going great one minute and if you don't really plan for what's coming next, you don't know what's going to happen. But um, that's really not what's going to save them. Like, if you think about, like, what, how do they fix it? How does Southwest fix this? Well, they can invest in more technology, and they can update their models, and, you know, they can, they can do all these things, but that's really not what's going to fix it. What's going to fix it is they have to now rebuild the trust of people. That, that's what they got to do, and that's a major task. They got to rebuild trust because people have lost trust in their ability to do what they're supposed to do. They've lost trust in their ability to do that. And they got to rebuild trust. And the way you rebuild trust is consistent application of your values over a long period of time. So it's not going to be a quick fix here. Um, it, you know, they gotta, it's consistent application of values over time. So they got to go back to whatever their company values were and say, we have to consistently apply those one relationship at a time over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that's how we rebuild trust. And that's what I think church has to do. Our values are clearly outlined for us. Love is our number one value. Love for God and love for other people. Matter of fact, love for God is expressed in the way we love other people. That's the way I understand the great commandments. Jesus is trying to say, the way you love other people, that's how you, that's how you love me. Um, and so we have to commit to that value and then consistently apply that value over and over and over and over again, one relationship at a time, in order to rebuild trust. It's not a quick process. It's not an overnight fix. It, you, you consistently apply the value of loving people over and over and over and over and over again. And um, we have a unique opportunity to do it as I think about where we're going to get ready to go in 2023 with Hope Center Ministries. Because um, we're not just going to write a check to these folks and walk away. It's a partnership. I signed a formal agreement with them saying not only are we going to donate this money to you, but we're going to partner with you in this ministry. And that means that the guys who come, who are trying to you know, get their lives clean and sober, they're going to come to church with us. They're going to be part of our church family. And um, the, their wives or their girlfriends or their children or stepchildren or whatever the situation is, they're going to they're come to church with us. They're going to be welcome to come to church with us. And they're going to be part of this church family. And they're going to be walking into this church family wondering, will I be welcome here? Will I be accepted here? Will I be treated like any other member of this church? You know, I mean, that, those are, they're, they're going to walk into this church family with a lot of mistrust about church. Because many of them have probably been burned by unhealthy church environments. And when they started using or got addicted or, you know, started drinking, they may have been shunned by church. That may have been the point in which, you know, they were, they were told to get out. You know, as long as you've got your life kind of put together, we're good. But if, if things start going off the rails, we don't really want you a part of here. And so they're going to bring a lot of mistrust issues into the church. And we got our work cut out for us uh, in next year, in 2024, and uh, 
2025 and, and, and you know, like it's, we have an opportunity to practice love for your neighbor. And we have an opportunity to practice shining Jesus and putting Jesus as the primary thing of this church and letting people see Jesus, that that's what matters to us. It's not about being the best church or the biggest church or the coolest church. It's about being a church that's focused on Jesus and being a church that puts its money where its mouth is, for lack of a better word. Like we, we want to show love for other people in practical and real ways and in consistent ways. And that's the challenge that's before us as a church uh, in next year. And I, I think we're ready for it. I, th- I think we're up to the task. I'll close with this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we've got, we got another song and communion, and we'll end with a song. We do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. And the day is almost here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, what you've done in this body of believers. I think over the last 20, 21 years. Um, and I'm hopeful and excited and look forward to what you're going to do in this body of believers over the next 20, 21 years. And so I pray that you help us to, to commit fully to your teachings and what you call us to do, and that's to love other people. And uh, may we do that consistently, and um, may we do that in the way that you show us how it's done, the the way the gospel shows us how it's done. Uh, You're a great and mighty God, and we, we love you, and we thank you for saving us. We thank you for the grace given to us, and we want to use that grace We want to extend that grace to others. We want to serve according to the way that you've saved us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.